I have to be completely and totally honest this morning. Uh, throughout the past couple of months, Jacob and I have been working to where I could preach without notes. And my goal was this morning to preach without notes. But last night, as I was going through my sermon in front of my wife, I realized that I wasn't as comfortable going off notes with this one as I was, say, on Friday or Thursday. And I started to start worrying and get a little anxious about it. And so I figured it's probably better for me to stick with the notes at least up here to preach from so I don't get sidetracked. But I had to be completely honest with you about that. But this morning, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 7. And I want to go ahead and welcome everyone this morning. It is always an encouragement to see you all and be able to worship with you and study in God's Word together. In Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who, inwardly, or who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. In life, we have all had these moments where we've been deceived. We feel like someone has pulled the, the wool over our eyes. When I was growing up, there was this very specific moment that popped to mind when I was reading about this. When I was growing up, my older brother thought it would be really fun to give me a chocolate-covered tomato and tell me that it was a chocolate-covered apple. So here I come, all excited because there's this delicious treat, and I bite into it, and it oozes out the tomato, and I'm really worried and not really sure what I'm eating. And I just look over, and I see my family laughing because, of course, Zach just bites into goodies without really figuring out what they are. But my brother had deceived me. He had pulled it over on me. And after I ate that, I kind of, I felt hurt and sad because it wasn't what I expected. I got my hopes all up and it had been taken away from me. But that deceit had happened. And being deceived happens to all of us. And sometimes it's not as harmless as a chocolate-covered tomato. Being deceived happens in our lives. When someone we meet isn't all that they look like they're going to be. Their appearance deceives us. They look well-dressed or respectable, and yet they turn out to be a terrible person. Or sometimes the things that we hear are deceiving. It sounds one way, and it turns out to be something completely different. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 that we're to beware of those kinds of people who are like wolves in sheep's clothing. And he especially mentions false prophets. Because sometimes our deceit comes in our worship. It comes when someone is up there speaking and is able to charm us with what they're saying. They sound good. They look good. And so clearly what they're saying has to be the truth. Deceit can happen anywhere. And Jesus is warning, about it. Jesus is warning us about it in Matthew 7. So this morning I really want us to examine this idea. This idea of being a wolf in sheep's clothing. Because when we look at Jesus' teaching, it can be taken in two kind of viewpoints. One, I can be the wolf in sheep's clothing. I can be the person deceiving someone else with what I'm saying, with what I'm doing, with my appearance. And that can be hurtful. And secondly, I can be deceived by people who are the wolves in sheep's clothing. And so we're going to look at those two different ideas and figure out how to work with them. And this passage in Matthew 7 and 1 in Matthew chapter 12 helps us, helps us to understand how to deal with those situations or those people. 
And so as we begin, we're we going to look how to deal with those false prophets and how to deal with bad fruit and good fruit. And in Matthew 7.15, Jesus teaches the disciples to be wary of appearance. Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous as wolves. Appearances can be deceiving. And when I say appearances can be deceiving, that's really just it. If I'm standing up here in this really nice suit and a really nice tie and I've got my hair all done all nice and, and proper, well, I may look good, but the words that come out of my, wolf, my mouth may not be good and edifying. My appearance may be deceiving because of what I wear. There's a saying, not all that glitters is gold. We can be deceived by something that is shiny or on the outside looks proper and right. But when you get to it, the actual substance is lacking. It's not what you expect. The people I could look up to may be living in a way that I could never guess because they hide it behind their appearance. The entertainment I turn to may seem fun and enjoyable, but on the inside is full of bad influences for me or wickedness that I'm just letting come into my life. Appearances can be deceiving, and if appearances are deceiving, we have to be ready to deal with those appearances. And in this passage, we're warned of false prophets who appear as sheep. We have examples of these type of people throughout the rest of the Bible. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter 14. 2 Samuel chapter 14. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, we read of the story of Absalom. Absalom is the son of King David, and he is actually third in line to the throne. And in chapter 14, we see that Absalom has been exiled from Jerusalem because he killed his brother. And he's been exiled, but when we start reading, we're going to see that he has been let back in to the kingdom of Jerusalem. And he's fine, and he's living among the people. And we can see some characteristics of Absalom, starting in verse 25 of chapter 14. Now in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head 200 shekels by the king's weight. And if you look with me in chapter 15, starting in verse 1, we get more description of what Absalom was like. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe of Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or a cause may come to me, and I would give him justice." And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom has this appearance of good. We read that he is the most handsome man in all the kingdom. Everyone looks to him in terms of how to look good. His hair is properly cut when it needs to be cut. He's got those long locks of hair that make everyone look at him. But not only that, when he meets with the people, he is able to charm them with his words. He listens to what they're saying and in turn tells them, well, if only there was someone there who would actually listen to you and could do something like I'm listening to you. 
If only I were the king, then you'd have an outlet. And he appeals to their need for someone to help. And he charms the hearts of Israel, as we read. Absalom has the appearance of a sheep. He appears of someone that is right and proper and doing good. But later in the chapter, we read that Absalom is not all that he seems. If you'll pick up with me in chapter or in 15, verse 10, please. 15, verse 10. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear of the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel the Golanite, David's counselor from the city of Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all of his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Absalom's plan was to usurp the throne. He wanted to take over what his father was doing, because he thought he could do it better. And so with his charm and with his appearance, he deceived the people of Israel into thinking Absalom was actually better than David. And it comes to the point where David is fearful for his life and for his family's life. So fearful, in fact, that they leave the city and give it up to Absalom. Absalom's appearance masked his inner motives. They masked the fact that he wanted the throne and he was willing to harm people in the way of getting that throne. And he pulled the wool over all the people of Israel's eyes because of his perfect appearance. Appearances can be deceiving, and Absalom shows us that. We also have another example in the book of Acts, if you'll turn with me there. In the book of Acts, in chapter 5, we are given the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira are what we can read of as two prominent members in the church of Jerusalem. They seem to have that look about them. They look like they're doing right. They look like they're living as Christ expected them to live. But in Acts chapter 5, we see that their appearance is deceiving. And we'll start in verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it then that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Ananias and Sapphira's plan was this. They had this piece of land, and they saw in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, everyone is giving up of their lands and their property to help the church out. Ananias and Sapphira saw this and thought, well, we can sell our land and help out the church. But instead of just giving part of it so we can keep some of it for ourselves, let's say we give all of it, but only in in word. That way everyone looks up to us as this great, benevolent couple. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to to deceive the church with their words and with their actions. They wanted to try and hide the fact that they weren't truly giving all of their stuff. And Peter even points this out that they didn't have to give all of their stuff. They had a right to keep some of it or keep as much of it as they wanted because it was still their property. 
And yet their attempt to lie to man, as Peter puts it, hurts them. And in fact, they lie to God instead of man, and it costs them their life. And imagine how people would have felt towards Ananias and Sapphira if they were in that church, and here are these two prominent members of the church, and they're caught lying about something they're doing. And suddenly, the next thing you know, Ananias and Sapphira are being carried out and buried. Imagine the hurts and the turmoil in that congregation when looking and seeing what someone was hiding from them when they had the appearance of doing right. Appearances can be deceiving in so many cases. And we can look at it in different aspects. In a church, if appearances are deceiving, if we imagine someone in a prominent role, maybe an elder or a deacon or a preacher, if we imagine that they are living on the outside this good life, they have this proper appearance and we all look up to them. And then we find out that maybe brother so-and-so is having an affair. Or maybe they're skimming on their taxes and, and being fraudulent. And suddenly that image of this example of Christ is shattered. And not only will it hurt that person in their own image, but it hurts the entire church. Because suddenly we become known as, well, that's the church brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so went to. That's the church where this happened right under their eyes, and they couldn't figure it out. Appearances can be deceiving in our churches. It can happen with anybody, our members, our, our preachers, our elders, our teachers, because sometimes appearances just aren't always as they seem. But it doesn't just happen in our churches. It happens in our careers as well. If we were to go to a work interview, and we sat down with the boss of a company, and they came out and immediately we felt comfortable. We felt like we could trust this worker or this boss. And we interviewed for him and everything he said made us want to work for their company so badly. And when we got hired, we were so excited because now I get to work for this trustworthy person. But once we get to work, we start to hear stories and see actions of this boss. Actions where he's not treating his employees as well as you thought he would. Actions where it seems he's skimming off the books and keeping more for himself. Actions where he's making it to where even if the company goes over or under, he can run away and be scotch-free with as, many, as much money as he needs. Appearances can be deceiving in our careers because people only show the best. When we think about other people, how many times do we think of people who really just air out all the struggles they're having, who come in in shambles because they are just so distressed or hurt? It's hard for us to think of times in our life where that's happened. Because most times, as human beings, we only want people to see the best side of us. We want, to see, we want them to see us dressed nicely, looking all together like we have it together. We don't want them thinking, well, Zach really looks disheveled this morning. I really wonder what's going on in his life. We want people to see us as having it all together. And so we hide behind our appearances. Appearances can be deceiving in so many ways and in so many situations. Growing up, I, I, I tried to think about times where I was deceived, and the number one thing that kept coming back to me was the fact that I would always be deceived by attraction. When I started to look into dating or the other, trying to get, put myself out there, so to speak, I was always deceived by looks. Oh, man, that girl looks really pretty to me. I'm sure she's perfectly fine. And I would go and chase after girls just because they look good. And eventually, 
it always came to hurt me. And my mom would be right there to tell me, well, we warned you. We could see through it. And me just sitting there, well, no, it's, she looked good, Mom. There's clearly, there's clearly something good going on there. Appearances can be deceiving when we're attracted to someone. Because, again, we only look at the good. We only look at the things that are pleasing to our eyes or pleasing to our ears. Appearances can be deceiving in terms of things that we turn to for help. Think of alcohol in this situation. When we look at commercials for alcohol, we only ever see on those commercials fun times and attractive people. They play it up to where if you're going to drink from this certain beer company, well, you're going to have a fun time and you're going to be surrounded by good-looking people. And they only show that. They don't show the hangovers. They don't show the liver disease. They don't show the relationships that are destroyed because of alcoholism. It only shows the good revolving around alcohol and cuts out all the bad. We can be deceived by other congregations at times. When we're scrolling through social media and we start to see our friends worshiping other places and they're only having fun, they seem to be enjoying their time with their brother, brethren or they're having lots of fun in their pickup games and their cookouts. And we start to look at that and we start to think, well, they're having so much fun and Maybe my church isn't doing some of those things. Maybe my congregation is lacking in some of these situations. They have a gymnasium. They're having lots of fun in that gymnasium. Why can't we have a gymnasium? And we start to get caught up on all the fun they're having, and we're deceived by that fun. But we have to remember that while they're having fun and while they're entertained, what is, going, what is being taught there? If we're only looking on the outside and not looking at the, the scripture or the truth being taught there, then we have to realize we're only looking at one side of it. And again, oftentimes people will only show the best of things. We're not going to see issues that might be going on in another congregation. We're not going to see someone struggle with their faith in their, post, in their posts or their words on Facebook or Instagram. We're only going to see the fun that someone's having. Appearances can be deceiving. And it's hurtful when appearances are deceiving. And if we turn back to Matthew 7, we can see why it's hurtful. Matthew 7, in a couple verses before our passage that we've been looking at this morning, verse 6, we read of how appearances hurt us when they're, de when they're deceitful. Matthew 7, 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And back up in verse 15, he, Jesus tells us that those in sheep's clothing are inwardly ravenous wolves. Appearances hurt us because when we trust appearances and what is superficial, we're going to be hurt when it turns out to be deceiving. And that's not to say all appearances are deceiving. Please don't misunderstand me in that. But when some relationships or appearances do turn out to be deceiving, it's going to hurt us because we put our trust and our confidence in that person, and they take it away from us. And as it says in Matthew 7, 6, they trample it underneath their feet. They don't value our trust or our respect, and they just push it away. They're like wolves, and when we feel hurt, we feel attacked. And when he uses the image of a ravenous wolf, well, if a, if a wolf is hungry, it's going to eat whatever is in its sight. It doesn't really care what's in front of it. Someone whose appearance is deceiving doesn't care who's in front of them. They don't care who they're going to hurt. They don't care who they're going to attack to maintain their appearance. 
Because all that matters is how they look on the outside. Deception destroys relationships. It destroys it if I deceive you, you're never going to trust me again. And if you deceive me, you're, I'm never going to trust you again. Or it's going to take a lot of work to trust you again. Deception hurts our relationships. It hurts us because then we start to judge other people and start to think, well, they look all put together, but I can't really trust that. I can't really give in to what they're looking like. And we start to cut ourselves off from people because we start to feel like we just can't trust anyone. Deception hurts us. And when we look at this, para- or this passage in Matthew 7, 16, we have to understand how to deal with deception. And what we see in Matthew 7, 16 is a solution. 7, 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them from their fruits. If we're going to deal with not being deceived by appearances, then we have to understand that our fruit reveals our motives. And what Jesus is saying here is that our actions give us away at some point in time. We can't always mask what we're trying to do because eventually our heart and our motives will shine through. And this means the way that I'm going to act towards others, eventually someone is going to see me or see me for who I am or what I am. This means I am going to observe and look at others and how they're handling situations in their life. The struggles they may be going through, the sicknesses they may be dealing with. And I'm going to maybe watch how they respond. But this isn't to say I'm going to be overly crucial of someone's life. I'm not going to be sit there, sitting there and looking for a reason to call someone wicked or sinful. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not telling us to judge people by their covers. He's telling us that a healthy tree or a diseased tree is known by what it puts forward, by the fruit it bears. We have to understand that Jesus isn't telling us one bad fruit completely mars the entire tree, though. He's not telling us that as soon as a diseased fruit appears in our life, well, then we're just ruined. That's not what Jesus is saying. What I believe Jesus is saying here is that if there is a diseased fruit and someone isn't willing to deal with it or even recognize it, that disease is going to spread throughout the rest of their life. It's going to spread to other things that they do until eventually that tree or that person doesn't bear anything good and fruitful for God. He's telling us that we all make mistakes, is what I think he's saying. That all of us are going to have times where a bad fruit appears in our life. But he's also telling us that the attitude we have to have is to cut it out, to get rid of it and cast it out before it destroys the rest of our life. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's telling us to look at the whole and look at the fact that a diseased heart destroys the whole person. And Jesus is not also telling us to second-guess everyone's motives like I've mentioned. He's not telling us to nitpick at people's lives just so we have a reason to call people out for things that they may be doing. He's telling us to examine them with love and compassion. He's telling us to be observant. 
but not critical. Bad fruit comes from a diseased heart. It comes from someone who has decided, I'm only living for myself. I want to do things that make me happy. I want to do things that make me feel good. That's where bad fruit comes from. Where we completely disregard God and what he has asked us to do. Likewise, good fruit has the opposite effects. If there is someone with a healthy heart or a tree with a healthy sinner, it's going to spread throughout the rest of the branches. It's going to make the fruit that come out of it healthy and well. A healthy heart has that effect. If my heart is focused on God, on the idea that I want to please God in everything that I do or say or how I interact with someone else, then my fruit or my actions will bear that healthiness. It's going to bear that reverence I have for God because I am focused on Him and not myself. Healthy fruit comes from a focus on God and how He expects us to treat others and how He expects our appearances not to be deceiving. Jesus gives us a warning in verse 19. He tells us that the diseased tree is going to be cut out and cast away and burned. Bad fruit results in destruction. A diseased heart results in condemnation. And if there's no good coming from a diseased tree, you don't want it to spread to the rest of your garden. You want to get it out as quickly as possible so that you can start something. Maybe there's a healthy tree in its place. And we can understand from this, these words that Jesus says about destruction when we look at Absalom's life or when we look at Ananias and Sapphira's life. Because of their deception that they have, they ultimately die. Absalom is hung by his own hair running away from David. He has been found out. His, his influence has waned and he's no longer as popular as he once was. And as he's riding out of the city, his hair is caught on a tree branch and he dies. Ananias and Sapphira are immediately struck dead because they tried to deceive man but only, tried, only ended up lying to God. Destruction comes to wicked fruit, to diseased fruit. There's punishment for deception and for trying to harm other people because of our appearances. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 that the fruit we bear is of utmost importance. It comes from a healthy heart. And if we start to see diseased fruit pop up, that we have to be willing to, to deal with the issue. We have to be willing to deal with deceiving appearances. We have to be willing to look at the whole of someone's life and not over, become overly critical of one instance. Jesus is warning us that if we're deceived by appearances, then we can lose our salvation. We can be led down the wrong path because we're focused more so on how something looks or feels or sounds. Jesus is telling us that if we are the wolf in sheep's clothing, well, then we're leading people astray. We're being that hurtful, diseased tree. And there's punishment and destruction that comes for that deceit. We have to be careful when it comes to this idea. We cannot be wolves in sheep's clothing if we expect to obtain salvation. I appreciate your attention this morning. At this time, we're going to go ahead and be dismissed for our classes.